So the Jeff. Isn't that for the end of the show? Ah, uh, yes. But Jeff, on today's episode, <laughs> the end is the show. Oh, not is that this, this, this is pl- that, this is the end of the show. Don't is this a plug for your book? <laughs> <laughs> Urgency. By the way, that's coming out March 29th, everybody. Urgency. Check it out. Um, no, it wasn't, but now it is, and I thank you for that. No, uh, I just Certainly. thought it'd be funny if we, uh, you know, s- since it's you and I doing the, sh- the show, there's no real after chat, so why not just start it from from where everyone's comfortable? Our catchphrase. <sighs> so <not>. the Jer. <laughs> <laughs> A little more enthusiasm would have been nice. So the Jer. Hey. <laughs> So, uh, yeah. what we're going to do tonight is a little bit different. Jeff came up with an idea of sort of a 20 questions. Well, not sort of, kind of literally 20 questions, where he is going to ask me 10 questions and I will ask him 10 questions that we have never asked each other. Uh, so, in a way, this is almost like truth or dare because we have no <laughs> idea is. what these questions are going to be. And, <laughs> and I guess we have to a- answer them, right? Yes. Um, so, we're going to do that, but... Before we do that, I think you wanted to – well, I would like to talk about something that happened with you uh, yeah. a couple of days ago. And then maybe we'll uh, from there go into this this case, this – I don't know what you would call it. Yeah. Phantom being case from around your neighborhood Yeah, uh, that was on Filer's Files. So before we do that, let's get into Jeff's shenanigans. Jeff, what are your latest shenanigans? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, essentially, uh, the other night, the, the world seemed to come unhinged, uh, in my living room. This is very strange. I mean, I, I have to preface this by saying I've, I've never really had something quite so weird. I've been working on a project guitar out in the studio and I came in, it was rather late. Uh, it was probably around midnight, uh, my wife got up and was going to bed. My son was already in bed. And uh, I was sitting on the couch. And um, I, it, very hard to describe, but uh, let me give you the layout of the room because it's slightly changed from the way it used to be. Now the couch is actually facing the uh, end of the house. And so the, the living room is now in, in a longer configuration than what it once was before. And um, at this point, my back is to the front door, uh, essentially, when you're sitting on the couch. And so I'm sitting there, and I can look to my left and see the sliding glass doors out into the dining room. And ahead, I see the TV, of course. And um, I I don't even remember exactly how it started. I was watching TV, and um, uh, I don't know, a little on the tired side, but not fatigued by any stretch. But it was the end of the day, and I'm just kind of unwinding and um i began to to 
first hear things, uh, which sounded like someone walking up behind me. Heard that a couple of times. Uh, heard what sounded like someone coming down the stairs a couple of times. This is rather unmistakable in my, ho- my house. You can't uh, think that you hear someone that close and there not be someone there. It's, uh, you know, the, the walkway behind the couch is, is now fairly, uh, fairly confined to a certain area that is directly behind your head. And then you go up the stairs. And the stairs are not are, – they're, they're carpeted, but they're not, uh, they're not quiet. Uh, when you're coming downstairs. So that happened a couple of times. And then I began to see, I don't know, like uh, black and white and fuzzy white objects um, darting about in my periphery a little bit. Uh, At one point, I began to see, uh, again, not looking directly. I'm looking at the television and the coffee table in front of me uh, had a couple of items on it. And one of those items, which was rather small, um, began to move to the right. Uh, and not, not at a, a quick pace or anything. This was just a slow, steady move. And at one point, it was at the corner, the upper left corner of a National Geographic that was sitting on the table. And I look up, and I can see it moving in my lower periphery. And I look down, and it's now halfway across the magazine. And I looked back up, and I can see it moving again. And now it's past the end of the magazine. And then at, at that point, something over on the fireplace mantle began to move uh, in much the same way. Not feet by any stretch, but a couple of hand widths, you know, uh, moving. Uh, I, the blinds in the front window began to get a blue, uh, a pale blue, but like a very intense um, uh, very pigment-heavy uh, blue uh, of this powder blue color uh, in them, reflected in them. I wasn't about to look out the front door. Uh, if there was ever a time, I told Jeremy, where I expected to see um, my my latest house guest in, in the black outfit show up, it was then because there was a very, very, very weird air about the place. I got up to go to the restroom at one point, and as I'm going down the hallway, I see what looks like uh, a white linen uh, going into the studio room here that I'm in now. Uh, just the trailing back edge of it again, but I laid eyes on it. This was not peripheral. I laid eyes on this. Uh, as I went into the bathroom, uh, I, I glanced over in the mirror, and it looked like everything behind me not me, not the mirror in front of me, or the window, you know, the, the mirror frame, but what was behind me, which is some sliding doors, uh, were moving. They were not moving in a normal uh, direction. You know, the fact that they would be moving at all would be strange, but these were moving as if the house was teetering on a seesaw, back and forth, up and down a slight bit. And as I looked, it slowly just stopped. Boom, just stopped. And uh, I went back out in the living room, and it didn't stop. Uh, it, it continued. I continued to see very strange things. I had made a piece for uh, a guitar uh, I had sitting on top of the fireplace. Um, 
I was trying to figure out how to integrate a couple of parts into it. And I went over just to pick it up and look at it. Now, it, it is silver. It is painted a metallic silver color. And I should make note in saying that I was out in the studio that I was not painting. I was not using any noxious chemicals or fumes. Um, I was basically doing hole drilling and assembly of component parts. So uh, not even any glue. I'll, I'll put, put it to you that way. As I went over and I, I picked up this, this component piece that's silver, I noticed that it looked like someone was shining a red light on it. Although there was no red light, I wasn't wearing red. <laughs> I don't know where it was coming from. But every time I picked it up, it seemed to be catching some glint of red. And it was always red. It wasn't like the TV was reflecting on it or anything like that. I have no idea where that was coming from. This is weird, weird stuff. Um, God, I can't even remember all of the, the strange things. The, the thing that stuck out the most was that I actually sat down on the couch and I thought to myself, uh, <laughs> this is one of the very few times that I've actually thought this and really meant it. Um, we all say this to, to ourselves at certain points in time. I said, I think I'm losing my mind. I think something's wrong because there is so much moving and there is so much weird visuals going on that I think I'm losing it. And uh, at that point, the sheer curtain that hangs in front of my front windows moved up and over top of uh, a short, possibly a little bit higher than knee level table and relaxed back down on top of the table. Now, there's no windows open. There are no fans running. There is no heater going. There's nothing in this house that would blow that curtain over top of that table. And so I got up, and I was, I will admit this. I will admit this to everyone listening. I fully expected to go over to that curtain and it not be there. <laughs> uh, I fully expected to, to grab that curtain and see it then laying where it should be. But in fact, what happened was I went over and it was in fact draped over top of the table. So at that point, I knew I'm not losing it. There's just some very weird things going on in this house tonight for no apparent reason uh, that I can think of. And so I, uh, I thought, I, I just I need to go to bed. And so I turned off the lights, turned off the TV. I made sure the doors were locked. I did go over to the front door to lock the deadbolt, and I did not see anything outside because invariably you have to look through the small window in the door. As I got upstairs, um, and uh, I have a little, like a Himalayan salt lamp uh, that's on top of my chest of drawers. It's a what it is is a, a huge salt crystal that when you turn on it glows orange, and it's kind of like my nightlight. And so I flip that on, and I uh, get undressed, and I get in bed, and um, I begin to, as I shut my eyes, I begin to get immediate, very strong, intense flashes of images that are uh, pine trees. <laughs> They're pine trees. They are the tops of pine trees, the branches, the close-up pine, you know, the, the pine needles. I'm seeing all of this in very strong, almost lightning-like flashes. And, um, 
And at one point, I also saw what looked like someone running down a long, um, very clean-looking hallway. Uh, but it was just a flash of of that sort of of action. Uh, it was almost like you were looking at the hallway if you were laying at the end of it on the, let's just say, if you're standing in a hallway, put yourself up against the right-hand side wall, your right-hand side wall, and then drop to the ground. And now look up and down the hallway. And that was the viewpoint that I saw it from. And it just looked like somebody took maybe three quick running steps towards me in this hallway, and then that was that flash was over. Um, but again, then more pine trees, lots of, of pine needles, tops of trees, blowing pine trees. Uh, and these were not uh, what you would get if you were just trying to visualize or imagine or dream of a pine tree. These were uh, jolting, I would say, uh, visionary uh, bursts is the best way I can put it. When, when you were in the hallway – um, did, did did it have the feeling of a flashback or like a remote viewing type thing? Um, really too quick for me to even say uh, what it was. Could you move? Uh, uh your, no, your because I, I mean, I mean, I, I hope I'm explaining this right. That literally these flashes are two to three seconds at the most. Are they in color? I don't remember if the pine trees were or not, but it would seem like to me that the hallway scene might have been yeah hmm. this wasn't the kind of thing you could operate in or move around in this what did the was hallway look like um uh well lit white uh doors at the end where the light was coming in like human doors uh-huh like a hallway hallway yeah okay yeah i i want to say there was someone else but you know behind the man who was running but i don't know I, I can't be sure of that, but that's what I remember seeing. It's just this this very dynamic running figure, almost, uh, um, you know, I I, I kind of chuckled about it at the time because I thought that's almost like a comic book run. It's almost that kind of viewpoint, you know, where you've got the superhero running with his leg way up in the air and, you know, leaned way forward, like past the point of, <laughs> of 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 believability of a sprinting runner, you know, that had that kind of very dynamic look to it, um, but but certainly a real, um, you know, not a not a photographic scene or a, a, a you know a drawn scenery piece. This was definitely uh, a photorealistic uh, visual mm-hmm. to this, like a photographic uh, movie, like short movie clip type of visual but there was no interaction with this at all there was no way i could move around or they were very quick and as i said they would almost make you jump so at a certain point i uh um, i put my face down in the pillow and i just um i i was out you know i fell asleep i suppose but um and so i i'm guessing that at a certain point that all um subsided or stopped, but for a while laying there, it was very intense. And, um, and, and there, you know, while all this has gone on, there's also some weird sounds in the house that I can't put my finger on. Uh, again, there was the coming down the steps and, and the sound of someone coming up behind you. I must've looked over my shoulder a dozen times. And every time I did, 
upon hearing a sound, I would see something, whether it would be some sort of fuzzy uh, white blur or at one point in the bathroom seeing what looked like a solid black vector for you graphics people out there, a solid black vector uh, circle that would be in my periphery, but in my periphery in such a way that I see that I can see I'm, I'm looking forward, but I can see this. And then as I turn my head, such a thing would dart away. Uh, so as not to lay eyes. The only thing I could say I laid eyes directly upon uh, was the blinds with the blue light, which again, let me qualify this and say not extraordinarily bright, but definitely very, very blue uh, and should not have been there. That light should not have been there by any stretch. Uh, I mean, at this point, I'm well familiar with the lights around the house and you know what it looks like at night around here. Well, let me and, ask you, uh, let me you, ask know, you this. Uh, yeah. The next day, now I didn't talk to you at all the next day. Um, yeah. But then my phone rang at, I don't know, one or two in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was you. And you're the only... <laughs> I know, it's all I know. There's no doubt it's you because my I, it's actually my ringer for you is just me saying, "Jer, get the phone. It's Jeff Ritzman. Get the phone. It's Jeff Ritzman." <laughs> right. Uh, so that goes off, startles me awake, uh, and I grab it, and then it stops. And I think maybe I hit a button mm-hmm. and hung up on you by accident. So I call you back, and you take a minute to answer the phone, and then right. you're like, "Hello," like like you weren't expecting me to call, and you said, uh, "Not only did you not call, but the phone was in." The next room. It's in the guitar room, yeah. On the, the uh, footstool. Yeah. <laughs> and then we proceeded to have uh, the phone just – the network connection fail or something. The phone just kept, kept shutting off. And I mean like, I don't know, somewhere between 10 and 20 times this happened. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. a lot. And then – so here's my question for you. At the end of this, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if I called you or you called me. We just kept doing that until right. finally it stopped. But – uh, on the one that it stopped, you said, I don't think it's going to do that again. You, you know, right. reach that effect. I don't think it's going to do that again. Right. <laughs> Why did you say that? Uh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you remember saying that? Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know why. I just. And then you proceeded to tell me about <laughs> the events of the night before. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I mean, I was kind of, to be honest with you, I was kind of. Uh, uh, the whole next day, I mean, I woke up and I felt fine because um, I actually said as I was laying up in bed going, you know, have ha- is something going on? Have I I mean, uh, you know, again, I I had not painted that night, but I had painted a night before I had done some paint work. Uh, but I wear an OSHA approved respirator. I, I take every precaution when I'm painting. Um especially on the scale that I'm doing now. And, um, you know, I thought, have I poisoned myself? Is that what this is? Is this, you know, is this, uh, is this some kind of weird delusion? I thought, no, the curtain did rise up and go over top of the table, which is physically impossible for it to do unless there was a fan there. But then as I fell, as I was going to sleep and laying there and, and trying to get myself, to, to just stop being slack jawed at everything that was going on. I said, well, if you wake up tomorrow morning and, uh, and you're, and I, and I will say this, I was having, um, at certain points, very brief periods where I felt somewhat disoriented, 
not extreme by any stretch and not dizzy, but just, um, I think it was probably being brought on by what I was seeing. Uh, I think I was headed towards, um, a, a mild panic attack because I, when I was in bed, uh, I did have that feeling. I, I did have that feeling that, uh, you know, at any minute I would get this adrenaline rush, um, or see something that would bring on uh, that kind of feeling. And, um, and I have had panic attacks in years past, but uh, not anything as of late. The only thing I said to myself was, if I wake up tomorrow morning and I still sense this weirdness around here, you know, I'm, I'm going to I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell my wife about it, and, and if it doesn't stop... I'm going to have to get out of this house and see how I feel. And, uh, uh, and in fact, I stayed home. Uh, <laughs> and I felt fine. I didn't notice anything. I didn't see anything. Um, nothing weird at all. Uh, but I was just out of sorts a bit. Just all day. Just kind of, not lethargic, but... And probably from lack of sleep. I mean, it was it was past three a.m. Uh, when I finally went to bed and, and got to sleep. So I just felt I felt almost as if, and I, I mentioned this to you. Uh, I've not experienced that kind of absolute bizarre weirdness to that scale uh, since life was a three ring circus many you know years ago now. Um, and and I, I had very reminiscent feelings about that whole night, uh, which seemed to be connected to the same feelings that I had when there was just weirdness, almost on routine, unexpected, you know, un, unannounced. But still, you would have this feeling of of heaviness, of of strangeness, and of visually seeing things that. Uh, are beyond the pale of bizarre. So, um, as far as our conversation, I mean, I, I had noticed in prior years, uh, studying the stuff with, uh, Lee Townsend that, uh, we got to a point where I would call him up in the, you know, at noon or something at lunch. And I'd say, how was your night? And I'd say that just about every time we talked, but invariably, we began having weird things, even if we hadn't seen each other all week or hung out all week or talked all week, he would say, yeah, it was a rough night. And I would say, yeah, well join the club. And so I called you to see, um, you know, when I, when I got you on the phone, um, I immediately asked you, you know, how was your night? How did you, did anything happen? Did you feel weird? Did anything happen to you? And you just said that you had had a, a bad dream where I'd pissed you off or something. And, and that was it. So, um, so don't I, piss me off. Right. <laughs> moral of the story. How dare you be mad at me being mad or whatever the fuck you were talking about. <laughs> so that's that. I have no idea what to make of it. Uh, I'm just mentioning it for, you know, but you did say that it felt as though maybe the veil between worlds thinned or something like that was sort of what made sense to you. Well, I mean, what else could I say that I, I don't know what else I could call it. I mean, there was just so much. I mean, this was every 30 seconds. There was something that was moving or blowing or floating around. I mean, it was weird. 
And, um, you know, what else, what else could I say? I, I, I mean, uh, it was towards 3 a.m., 2.30, 3, quarter after 3, 10 after 3. So I don't know. Um, DMT dump? Uh, <laughs> I don't know what would bring that on. And, and, it, and what I mentioned to you on the phone was during all this time when I'm seeing all these things, not once, and this is what really pissed me off the next morning. And I think half the reason why I was a little out of sorts was, you know, that's such a rare occurrence uh, to have that level of bizarreness and to see those kind of visuals. And not fucking once did it occur to me to go get the DVR recorder, to grab the still camera, to pick up my goddamn iPad or my iPhone that's laying right there and just start snapping pictures routinely. Not once did that occur to me to do that. And, and I thought about the next morning, like what a dope, you know? And, and, and again, it just, it feeds into that same old thing. What I've said is, you know, when this stuff is going on, this is just not something that you think about, but when you wake up, you're pissed off that you didn't think about doing or, or, you know, picking up and saying, okay, I've got to, Get myself together. I think there are two things you know? about that, though, because one is the thing about don't be in awe. You know, it's hard not to be in awe of the situation that you're in, mm-hmm. that you find yourself in every yeah. fucking time. But then there's the other thing, which is that when, and I don't know that this um, that that this is an example of it, uh, what you just described. Mm-hmm. But I know you're going to know what I'm talking about. Is that when you're in the situation, the nature of the relationship has changed. And so you're not even that person anymore. Yeah. Yeah, well. You're whatever the person is that interacts with this situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in that situation, there's more uh, of knowing what this is and knowing you know, whatever. Just the, the whole the whole mind frame of, uh, of, gee, I should be the one to just, you know, make the big discovery, get the camera, get the this, get the, <laughs> right. I mean, none of that Grab stuff. the brass ring, right. Yeah, I mean, it's, well, it's not, yeah, it's like, I mean, it's almost like you're, you're like, uh, living a lie. One of these lives is a lie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know which one. But. Well, I'll tell you how I think of it is that at that point in time, when you're witnessing this, that just doesn't, I mean, even if it did cross your mind, even if it did cross my mind to do that, it almost feels unimportant. In a way, that's that's how I think of it. It's like if I would have thought of that, the items are right there. And so why would I not have thought of that? And I guess at that point is it's just not important. All you can really do is just pay attention. And I was very much paying attention. I was not freaking out. I was concerned. I'm not going to lie about that. I was certainly concerned. And at one point, gravely concerned about my mental health uh, because this was – very strange stuff, but almost in response to me saying, am I losing my mind and seeing these things? A tangible object uh, actually moves up and over a small table that I then have to go over and put back. Right. And so I, I did have – I have to admit after I did that and I reached over and that curtain was in my hands, I said, okay, I saw that happen. This is something else. Something else is going on. Now, what is going on? And what is this? Um, and why the, you know, why the shaking mirror image and why the pine trees and all of that? I mean, why all of that? I honestly don't know. I do want to mention uh, the only connection with pine trees uh, 
which came up. I forget what weekend day it was, whether it was Saturday. It must have been Saturday. I woke up. I went out in the backyard with the dog. It was a gorgeous day, uh, rather warm. And um, my studio is right behind my house. So in other words, when you're in my living room looking out towards the dining room and my big glass doors are out the back, you, you're looking right at my studio building. Beyond that is the yard, which is fairly long in depth, and then it leads down to a fence. And on the right, the I'm sorry, the left side uh, of that is uh, immense pine trees that border my property all, all along the edge, front to back. And uh, when I went out, I saw a very huge, uh, probably about the thickness of my neck, branch had broken out of the pine tree uh, next to my neighbor's house. And it was actually laying near his driveway and over top of my fence. And so I went over and I began sawing it up and throwing it over the fence into my yard to be chipped up. And um, I got my son to come out and help me with that because it was big. And um, as I looked up, as we got that chopped up, I see an even bigger branch has broken uh, damn near the top. And I'm thinking to myself, how in the hell am I going to do this? How am I going to get this out? So we go get the ladder. I put the ladder up and I wind up having to climb the tree. And so I'm climbing this immensely huge pine tree. Uh, damn near the top. I can see where this branch is broken, but it's hanging on by uh, a good portion of bark and wood fiber. But, uh, you know, give it a couple days of, of strong winds and it probably would have fallen out on its own, but it would have probably fallen out on my neighbor's car. So I went up there and uh, and just about killed myself sawing this. I mean, the, 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 the tension of this wood made it that much harder to saw. And so I finally got it sawed out, and my my dad had arrived at that point to pick up my son to take him driving, and we got it we got it we got it down out of the tree. When I came out of the tree, I was scarred up and down one arm and down the other from being in this tree, and that certainly wasn't is not a common occurrence here at the house. It you know to to have to do that, but we've had some very strong winds and some. Uh, uh, some rather wet, heavy snow lately, and apparently that's when this branch came down, according to my neighbor. There's your connection to Pine Tree. What that has to do with anything, as far as the weirdness, I don't know. But that's the only interaction with a pine tree that I had all weekend. And then I see these pine trees uh, in these flashlight visions. So make whatever of that you will or think about that or ponder that if that's got some connection. I just want to chuck it out there because it was part of the weekend. So there you are. All right. Uh, well, since you haven't done enough talking, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's make this other connection. And why don't you read the uh, filers file uh, that I, I find to be somewhat astonishing given the proximity to where you live. Uh, <laughs> uh, this report comes to us via Filer's Files. And uh, you can subscribe to Filer's Files. Uh, just look it up on Google. Uh, so we want to thank uh, uh, George A. Filer, MUFON Eastern Region Director, for this report. George, we love you, but stay away from that Meyer shit. Okay, buddy? Um, this report is under the Maryland section 
and it's is reported or it looks like it's reported from Gaithersburg, Maryland. Uh, let me read this. It says the witness was visiting his mother near Baltimore on January 1st, 2011 at 7 a.m. He noticed that his Belgian sheepdog was smelling someone and was pacing back and forth. The dog was more confused than alarmed and seemed bewildered. The witness thought that perhaps the intruder might be outside, so he checked. At that time, he saw a small figure about five feet tall with hooded clothing. He got his binoculars, and when he viewed the bizarre entity, it appeared to be faceless. The creature had short upper arms and impossibly long forearms. The creature tried to communicate with the witness telepathically. Quote, I am not witch. I am you. Witch, W-I-T-H. It was a friendly, empathic waveform message. The witness retrieved his twenty-two caliber rifle, but the creature seemed oblivious to the weapon. The witness put his hands on top of his eyes so as to shield them. The entity did the same. The entity seemed to amble rather than walk normally. The dog watched the entity attentively but did not bark, even though he normally barks at strangers. The witness lost sight of the entity as it ambled away in the muggy, hot, morning yellow sky. There is a sketch here. Whether or not that's actually from this witness, I don't know, but uh, it's very clearly a hooded being of some sort. The footnote underneath this, and I'm not sure if this is George Filer talking or whether that would be uh, William Puckett, the director of UFOsNorthwest.com. So that's www.UFOsNW.com. says, I interviewed this witness in person. He, ke- he seemed quite level-headed and intelligent. He has never before or since had any unusual experiences. So, um, yeah. Well, so, so it's like he got the retarded version of... Of your guy. I would love to talk to this guy. And so I am going to contact UFOsNorthwest.com about maybe trying to establish contact with this person. Uh, And I'd certainly like to tell um, Mr. Puckett about about my own encounters here. So I am not witch. I am you. That's a... Yeah, the dog sees him. I, I, there are so many great parallels, but um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and to ET. I mean, this ambling, you know, long forearm, short, you know, thing. I mean, it's almost, it almost is a scene out of ET mixed it's with your thing. But here's the here's the real kicker: the guy's not thinking aliens. Apparently, this thing right. certainly isn't saying aliens. So why is this in a filer's file? Why did I don't uh, know? <laughs> investigator investigate this. I don't know. Uh, that's the that's the uh, write up there verbatim. I'm not sure exactly what that is. Very strange. And there's another one uh, here in Rockville. That's a, a there's actually two reports in Maryland. This this newsletter, which is a little weird. Uh, February fourteenth, two thousand eleven, in Rockville, there was a long cigar shaped craft with a single light on the front that was seen in that area. So I don't know. There's um, there's some activity in Maryland as of lately. Uh, so, uh, I, I don't know what to make of the hooded thing other than that's, uh, a, a real strange report. Number one, like you mentioned to be in this and, and that, the, you know, the, the parallels are, are real interesting. So I did want to mention that on the show and thanks again to fireless files for that. That comes from number 10 of two, two, 2011. This is Stan Friedman and you're listening to Paratopia. 
If you record audio for any purpose, chances are you want it to be heard. You want to attract the largest audience possible who can hear your message. That's where we come in. We're CyberEars.com, a revolutionary internet service that will host your audio files and help you promote and track its popularity. Considering hosting a podcast to the world, we have all the automated tools to make the process as simple and easy as it can be. No technical mumbo-jumbo to work out. CyberEars.com does all the work for you. You record it. We take care of the rest. So don't delay. Go to CyberEars.com today and register for a free trial account. Upload your audio files and get heard. With CyberEars.com, it's your audio on your terms. All right, Peritopia, welcome back. It is now time for 20 questions. With the chat in the chair. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, I don't know why we say dun, dun, dun. Not everything is dun, dun, dun. Well, this is dun, dun, dun. Oh. Um, so, Jeff, why don't you start us off? Fire away. Okay. Number one. <laughs> Uh-oh. That's shrine to Michael Jackson. No. Uh, <laughs> number one. Uh, what do you believe... What do you believe is the reason some people are experiencers and some are not? I don't have a belief about that. I, the only thing I can do is sort of say, well, it makes sense to me that I would be in terms of, I think I have an ability to articulate pretty far out there stuff. Mm. And uh, I'm open to it. So I could see why me. I could see why you. I could see why Whitley. Mm. Um, I could see why a lot of people outside of also the artistic connection too. you know, wh- whatever is in us physically that uh, I mean, maybe that's just it. Maybe maybe some people are um, just more physically open to this stuff. I don't know. I, I don't know. I've, I've never really had. um a thought about that, even though I think like, you know, at some point I'm sure in high school or whatever, I probably felt special, Mm -hmm. you know, at least secretly, even though I wouldn't say it out loud and all that, but Uh I wouldn't know um, what that's attached to outside of the fact that it's happening. Do you feel separate from other people to to a certain degree or? Um, Yes, but I feel separate from other people anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. My number one for you, Jeff. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry that my number one was such a disappointing answer. Uh, <laughs> no, no, it's not. That's I mean, I just I was curious about what you thought of that. Who is the most underrated paranormal ufological investigator we've never discussed on the show, and why? Oh my god, <laughs> that we've never discussed on the show. Yeah, is there anyone who strikes you that you're like, wow, we really should have forgot about that guy or that woman? Wow. I mean, we've mentioned, and I don't even call this a paranormal, I call this, you know, definitely a paratopia-ick topic uh, that we have mentioned, which is Persinger. I mean, I would, that's someone we've we've spoken about, though. I mean, um, (sighs) Not really. We mentioned him in passing. I don't think we really. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that he would be an invaluable guy to talk to, and I don't think that there is enough emphasis really on his stuff 
in podcasts. Number one, because he's a hard guest to get. I mean, his his time is is exceedingly tight. I could pare down the question and say, who do I think is the most underrated figure in you know paranormal rounds? And I would say it would be George Hansen. It was probably the most underrated guy that I can think of. I mean, I think Jacques Vallée is is certainly worth every bit of the accolades that he gets from uh, from the field in terms of the work he's done. I think George has not gotten the 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 the, the just desserts that he deserves for what he's brought to this, which is a whole new way of thinking about it, at least for me. So that would probably be my answer for the you know the least acknowledged researcher. Okay, Go okay, on. my turn. Uh, number two. Dare. <laughs> what about the ufological machine, meaning the field, do you dislike the most? Well, I, I think it's the what we've seen with the Jacobs Hopkins stuff, mm-hmm. uh, which is the disingenuous circling the wagons around friendship, um, research be damned. And not just about this, but about all of the different Well, cases. I mean, that you know, as I, I, I've talked to you, you know, in private about this, uh, this movie Catfish, which is a documentary, uh-huh. not about ufology, but it really is. And I don't want to give away what it is. I, I recommend everyone go go watch Catfish. It's not about catfish. Um, it is, to me, it is the Jacob's Elizabeth story. Hmm. Um, and... I mean, that to me just nails what you would call bored housewife syndrome. Mm. Um, So in any event, uh, I I think part of of what I took away from that movie is that people will do anything for a connection. People will do anything to feel uh, intimacy and to feel wanted and loved and, and, and all of that. And then you look at ufology and you go, well, what is this really about? Um, I mean, it, it should be about research, but then you, you see something like this drop and very quickly it's about your friends. It's about wanting to protect your friends, uh-huh. right? And we see this with Peter Robbins. We see this with Jerome Clark. We see this on down the, li- on down the list of people. And, um, and some of that is, uh, I think, horrible. <laughs> and some of that, I think, is just plain friendship, you know? And I think right. you need to parse the two. Um. But you say all. But you say also that that part of it is th- that nature of certain people to have a need to belong. Yeah, and well, you I find mean, that to be that, detrimental. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I look around and I go, okay, what is this about? If this is about standing on a stage and being heard, and forming friendships and forming relationships with people. Uh, that's all well and good, but what about the research? I mean, when if a researcher is called into question, it should be friendship be damned because this is a quote-unquote field. It is a quote-unquote profession for mm-hmm. people. It is something that people want to be taken seriously politically. They want it to be taken seriously scientifically, and they want it to be taken seriously in, in the public eye and by the media. Uh, and so to throw all of that which you claim to want and to be about – out the window for friendship tells me that, no, I was wrong. I was wrong in thinking that this was a field or about research or any of that stuff. It was always about friendship. It was always about that wanting that connection and wanting to be heard, you know, as, as you would say, uh, or as probably Biedney said first, you know, people who couldn't get arrested 
in other fields come right. to ufology. Well, I think that's it. You know, I, I don't think that that's a cynical statement and I don't think that that is somewhat true. I think that might actually just be what this is, you know? Okay. What was so in other words, what, in other words, not, <laughs> well, in other words, you know, what, what you're saying is, is that, uh, people who don't, you know, friendship be damned, that sort of thing is, is, you know, the nature of what one person does in the field that might be wrong tandemly affects every other person in the field because it's the field. And that's kind of the point of everybody kind of being forthright, honest, and, and making it about the work rather than making it about a click. Right. Okay. Okay. Next. Jeff Ritzman. Mm -hmm. See, now I feel stupid because my second question is (sighs) who is the most overrated? Oh, who is the most overrated? Who's the most overrated? Yeah. Paranormal or ufological researcher. Whose work does everyone clamor for? And you look at it and you go, are you kidding? <laughs> uh, well, the list is too long to name, Jeremy. <laughs> uh, now, um, what paranormal investigator do I think is exceedingly overrated? Um, Joe Nickel. <laughs> who is the world's only, according to some people, full-time paranormal investigator. Um, some people but, being Joe Nickel. Well, well <laughs> you know, and, and certain skeptical organizations claim that he's the only full-time paid paranormal investigator. Um, but if we, if, you know, that almost falls into a skeptical, you know, a skeptical category. Aside from that, how about the, how about the Ghost Adventures team? <laughs> from the Travel Channel, how about uh, Grant and uh, and Jay from Ghost Hunters? I mean, not that potentially uh, Wilson and Halls aren't collecting some decent data, but the problem is everybody clamors to see that, but it never seems to go any further than look what we've got or look what we captured here. There's paranormal activity here, uh, and it's okay. So. What then? I mean, what, 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 what then? What are we doing with it? We're, we're, why are we not taking the next step? You know, I mean, so I've got increasingly frustrated with uh, these ghost shows because, I mean, I, I get it. It's entertainment. But like it or not, uh, you know, Jason and Grant are two of the most recognizable paranormal investigators, quote unquote, that there is. And there are probably hundreds of thousands who clamor to, you know, read their magazine and, and, uh, and, and hear them on the radio and watch them on TV. And so if you have to talk about what I think is overrated, I think that's definitely overrated. Fair enough. Okay, number four. Number four, really? Well, that's where we're at. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, number three for you. Yeah. I'm oh, wow. I'm skipping ahead. Uh, give us your three top paranormally-based researchers or personalities and tell me why They've had the most influence on your own thoughts. Well, number one, of course, is the Streber. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because uh, I think he handled his experiences publicly as well as anybody could uh, when he first brought them to light. Uh, and the whole, you know, l- let's improve the question and not get married to the answer. I, I think that was... Much needed, and without that, I think I might have fallen for the whole Bud Hopkins, David Jacobs, you know, type of answer stuff. N- number 
two, of course, Jacques Vallée. <laughs> For similar reasons, I actually put them both in sort of the same category. I think um, they're both about what is, how do we perfect the question? What are the right questions to ask? And and how deep and how rich is this phenomenon, you know? Uh, let's see, who would number three be? Uh, number three is probably you. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Boy, you're shit out of luck, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say Ray Fowler. Um, Ray Fowler is good. Because certainly I think the uh, the Watchers and the Watchers 2, this time it's personal. Mm-hmm. Okay, that wasn't really the subtitle. <laughs> uh, I think those, uh, I guess, I don't know if influenced me is the right term, but they certainly, you know what it was? It was like growing up um, in, in high school and in college with this stuff, it's like, you know, is this evil? Is this okay? You know, what is going on here? Uh, and I think to have the balance between the Bud Hopkins material type material that I was reading and I, I think Ray Fowler's material sort of balanced that out for me. Okay. Uh, and then Streber added the, no, 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 forget the good and evil stuff. What is this? Hmm. Um, so probably early on Ray Fowler, but then, um, but then later in life you. Oh, great. I think Ray Fowler deserves a number three shot slot a lot more than I do. So All right. we'll go with that. All right, your turn. Number three. Do you think our show has a purpose in terms of the Shroud Man? <laughs> uh, why do I get the feeling the rest of the questions are going to get the fucking Shroud Man? No. Um, no. Okay. Uh, and I'm not being evasive. I really mean that. I think that um, this is something that we spoke about last week or this week, that certain people that you run into, whether it be, you know, in a ufological circle or out of it, uh, that you connect with on some kind of wavelength in regards to this, all this material. Uh, I don't think is by accident. And so if you asked me um, the purpose of the show as a whole, I think that it is a, uh, I think it is a, a, a positive manifestation of our even meeting. And so by definition, I, my personal uh, belief in that, whether or not it, it, it's true or not is irrelevant to me, but my personal belief in that is that uh, that yes, there is some purpose to us doing this show uh, because there was purpose in us meeting at all. Uh, and so I, uh, I, I don't know if any of our audience can identify with that, that you know, you've met someone uh, with an interest in this just off the fly or at a convention and you've really connected with that person to such a degree that you become very close friends. I, I don't necessarily believe that's by accident because I have consistently met people in this that um, have added something uh, to my outlook on this. And, and I think that's kind of like the give and take in, in meeting people uh, throughout the subject. So, uh, so yeah, I think there's definitely a purpose to it. Does it involve that particular facet? I don't think so. Okie doke. All right. Um, number four for you now. When we're talking about uh, bettering the field – and discussing the merits or lack thereof uh, of certain particular research staples as they become to be known. 
Uh, do you believe there is more at work than egos and infighting friends and enemies? Uh, and the secondary you know, footnote question to that is, is the phenomenon, do you believe, active in any capacity containing an effort to further obscure itself? Huh. So you're saying, is there a concerted effort on the part of ufologists? Is that part of the question? Well, do you think there's more at work than what we know, which is that there is there is parts of this that are ego-driven. There are parts of it that are simple uh, people who enjoy the verbal uh, sparring, the infighting. And then there's friends and then there's enemies, uh, of which all fall into that ball of infighting. But aside – all that aside – uh, do you think that the phenomena itself is active in any capacity in its own effort to obscure itself? Oh, I see. Um, so the question is purely about the phenomena. Yeah. Um, it's really hard to know if it's obscuring itself or, or if we're doing that. Uh, well, here's, a, here's a, a better way to put it. Have you ever been in any kind of confrontational effort within this subject – at any point in time, before you met me or after, where you did recognize a very strange thing that seemed to inject itself into the conversation or into the series of events that maybe you were involved in or peripherally aware of. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> I don't even know what the fuck you just asked me. <laughs> <laughs> what? So I'm in a conversation with somebody and, and this thing injects itself? In some way, yeah. Yeah, I would say. And then was it detrimental to, you know, to to your ability in trying to discern the argument or trying to a- explain the argument? I mean, arguments are always usually born out of a belief system, in this at least. They're born out of a belief system that you're trying to explain further into or go past or get someone to realize more Uh or it's – well, I mean that could count from everything from hoaxes to the ETH to everything else. So you might as well just take that as a whole. Uh, at that point, uh, you know, do you feel like the injection of that phenomena helped or hindered or made the argument all the worse by injecting itself in? Yeah, no, I, I can see where it would make it worse. I just don't know if that's – if that's on purpose, I don't know. See, it's the injecting itself in part, uh, because uh-huh. here we get into, you know, when you focus on, you know, the focus of intent, right? The power of intention. Right. You're focusing on it. Are you drawing something of it to you and that something is is imperfect? You know, I, I don't know. So, I, you know, so I don't know. What I mean, what is my feeling on it? Yeah, my, my feeling is that, um, Again, this is where it, it gets difficult because part of me wants to say, yes, of course, there's the trickster element. Mm-hmm. It's obscuring itself and, and all of that. But then the other part is is going back to the, um, but when you're in the presence of the phenomenon, uh, you're different. In, in the moment, there's no question that what you're experiencing is real. And it's only afterwards where you go back and you go, okay, was that real? Um, so which is true? Right. It certainly isn't clear, so let's go with yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I mean, that's I fair guess, enough. I guess, you know, if I step outside and just take an objective view, well, uh, we don't have clarity on any of this, right? So right. on its by its own definition. 
I mean, this is strictly a feel question. Like, do you feel like, you know, that there is something more than ourselves and all of the issues that we've run into in the way of a personality? Is there more going on here in this infighting than than we're noticing or that most people are noticing? Yeah, I mean, there there does sometimes feel like 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 there is some sort of puppet mastering that sort of takes mm-hmm. over the conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, not that it's necessarily puppet mastering and in, in orchestrating the conversation, but now. that once the conversation's going on, then then comes the ironic smirk. Right. Uh yeah, I mean I guess I do feel like that happens, yeah. Okay. All right, your turn. That took a long way for me to say yes. I'm uh, sorry, but yeah, that's 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 what I was after. All right. Um, number four for you. When you're alone contemplating this stuff, what do you really fear it is but won't say publicly? What do I really fear it is? Yeah. Uh, demons. <laughs> uh, uh, but I've said that publicly before. Yeah, but still, you still feel that way? Uh, in the back of my head, yes. There's still a... Um, uh, there's still a a thought to me that what if this is all a ruse by something that is changing us for in, in such a way and changing mentality in such a way that that it is leading us in a different direction from where we should be going. I, I know for myself that I've seen profound changes in my you know my my beliefs um, as it comes to uh, spirituality and that sort of thing, it's had a profound effect on that sort of thing. And that doesn't, not, you know, unlike most people out there that I've read about who've talked about that, that doesn't necessarily mean I think God is an alien or anything like that. But even you and I have very different uh, spiritual beliefs in that sense. Um, I think it's one of the few things that we don't necessarily agree upon 100%. Um, what do you think? I think God is an alien? No, no. I, I, well, I mean, I don't think you necessarily believe in, in um, uh, and maybe I'm wrong. I mean, because we don't really talk about this even in private that much. But I don't think that you, um, I don't think that you necessarily believe in a God or God in the same way that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, because mine is some very, uh, you know, broad sense of of what god is and all of that um and you know not the puffy man in a cloud and certainly not what uh organized religion would have us to believe uh but something bigger than that and why do you believe in demons from the biblical sense uh and and when i say that word see this is the problem i even had back in the day when i actually thought that this had the potential to be uh, a harmful I reduced that same that same thing to toxic because the the D word didn't go over very well in the UFO crowd because no well, one forget wants to the D that. word going over well. I'm I'm yeah. asking you if you don't believe in a Judeo Christian <clears throat> God, you have some other concept of God, why do you believe in a Judeo Christian demon? Well I, and I don't. And that's that's the that's the thing. When I say demon, what I mean is inherently negative uh, entity or inherently negative uh, uh, being of some sort that uh, that this is not what it appears to be that this is not high strangeness and mystery and all of those things that seem to be 
you know, that snare around the leg that keep dragging you back into this. I mean, I mean, you're talking to a guy to a guy again who's left this field and discussed multiple times only to be um, resnared by it over and over again. Um, and not always in tandem with what's going on in the field, but in tandem with what happens in my life away from the field. Um, which draws me back in to say, is anyone seeing this? Is anyone else, it, has anyone else experienced this? And then before you know it, I'm back in again. And, and so I do wonder uh, at times, you know, I guess the, the word I should say is uh, when I'm alone pondering this, what is the thing that I don't talk about much? Uh, is that, is it an inherently negative or evil, quote unquote, uh, phenomena? I my personal belief is that there is evil and there is uh, good. I mean, we can we can certainly debate that at some later point as to whether or not you know uh, the baby raccoon who sees its mother get hit by a car was the car evil? Of course not. It was just the way it is. But um, you know, uh, is the mama lion killing the zebra? Is this you know the baby zebra seeing its mother getting eaten by a lion? Is that evil? No, it's nature. So there's different levels of that, but do I see certain aspects of this that seem to be nothing but destructive? Yes. Could you interpret that many different ways? Yes. Would that be what something evil would try to do? <laughs> yes. So, you know, uh, but I try to balance that by saying um, that this thing seems to present itself in whatever um, way that you think of it as. And so I've kind of explained away my fear of that being, you know, an evil or toxic thing as I'm the one who's toxic. I'm the one who makes it evil. And so that being probably part more to the collective unconscious of, of all of this, is that what this is? Um, but I would say, yeah, in the back of my head, and what I don't bring up a lot is that I do have a fear that this is uh, an inherently destructive and negative thing. And I've seen, at least in my own life, uh, the toxicity of what it can do. But does that make it evil? I, I don't know. So it, it is a, a truly confusing issue to, to, to go at at length. But that's one of my thoughts about it. 20 questions and all of our answers are I don't know. <laughs> well... Welcome to Paratopia. <laughs> Yay! Okay. Number five. Yes. Number five. What do you think is the greatest detriment to understanding the paranormal topic as a whole? Ghosts, UFOs, all of it. Um, uh, as I've been saying all along, uh, I think the greatest detriment is asking the wrong questions first, and we've got to figure out what the fuck we are before we go down the road of what is any of this other stuff. I think, um, and, and I'm going to just keep going back to this, I guess, but getting back to um, feeling like a different person in the situation than you do out of the situation, I think that that is the facade of being an adult falling away. Uh-huh. Uh, the more I think about it, it's it's like we, we build up this maturity level as we grow older into adults and and part of that is a natural process of growing from, you know, something young to something older. But then part of that is this lie that we carry around that that we're in control and that we have answers. And to sustain that lie, we we, we block out a lot of stuff. And all that stuff that we blocked out 
is stripped away when you're in the middle of the situation, right? And so right. you're this quivering little kid again in, in, a, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, there is this sort of weird innocence, I don't know, that, that I feel. Or or how about, you know, if you hear that, that woman's voice, there is the sort of giving yourself over as a, a child to a mother. There's that maternal feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, so what is that if I'm an adult? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I think seeing this is a reminder that um, that we aren't what we think we are, and and a lot of what we think we are is just due to the very basic wanting to block out fear of death, fear mm-hmm. of lack of control, whatever, whatever, whatever. So I think we got to get to there first, and then and then ask what are all of these other things. Right. Okay. Good answer, Jared. Good answer. Yay. I finally had a definite answer. Um, (laughs) Number five. Uh If you believe, speaking of control, if you believe your big problem is fear of losing control, what are you doing about it? Uh, Getting high a lot. (laughs) (laughs) No. Um, What am I doing about it? Trying to be more in the moment. Uh, for instance, at the weirdness the other night, I think probably a year or less ago, I would have run upstairs. Uh, I think, and you, you even mentioned something like this when we were talking about it. Uh, did you go upstairs and wake Lisa up? And I said, no, cause I've done that so many goddamn times before. I just paid attention. I just watched. I think I'm trying to make some kind of stride to stay planted and not to run. And if you look over, you know, the broad scale here, I think that, um, or at least I like to think that whatever this is, is trying to gradually pluck those strings little by little to get, uh, to get tone out of me where, um, it's almost a gradual, uh, thing. And then every once in a while I get hit with something, uh, fairly substantial. And, and as of late, I've tried to hold my ground more, tried just to say, Stop freaking it. I, I try to talk to myself more during that. And, um, and I think, judging by what I saw the other night, uh, I don't think anyone uh, listening would have experienced that and said, oh, I'm okay. Or, I mean, the thought does cross your mind. Am I losing my mind? Have I poisoned myself with some chemical? Have I eaten something bad? I mean, all of that. Uh, I try just to sit still and just pay attention. I, I joked about it, but I hate to say that uh, the mushroom experience was extremely liberating in the sense of knowing that I would do that, that I would swallow that <laughs> and and really not know what's going to happen. Like to have an idea, but I don't know what's going to happen for real. I don't know what I'm going to see and I don't know if I'm going to go somewhere. I, I had all kinds of wild expectations as to what it was going to be like and it wasn't like anything. Uh, that I had pictured or imagined. It wasn't nothing like that. Um, but I think that that was, um, at least for me, that was probably one of the more gutsy moves that I could do. I was thinking the other day that when I was doing the Second Eclipse podcast way back when, um, that I actually had the thought to go out and record episodes in the field uh you know, up in my particular area where I've seen a lot of weird stuff uh, to go up there and, and do a little experiment to see if it's possible. If I pay more attention to the phenomena and I go looking for it, 
will I find it? And I haven't done that yet. So all of my Second Eclipse listeners are still waiting for that. And uh, um, and I don't, I don't you know. Second Eclipse listeners? <laughs> well, not anymore. Oh. But uh, uh, you know, people who did listen to that, there's still a few Paratopians who remember those days. I don't know that I'll ever be able to do that. I mean, uh, that still seems like a really far flung thing. That uh, I guess one day I'll. I'll do it. I'll do what Lee did and actually go up there and just sit in a field by myself in pitch black darkness till 3 a.m. and see what happens. And my outlook on it is even if nothing happens and I don't see anything, it's just the, the very act of going I think would be a, a pretty big leap. So but Eaten by a bear and we'll call it the trickster. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I mean, you know, in answer to the base question, I think Lately, I've just been calm down and and pay attention and watch and see what happens next. And that's been uh, talking to myself has been helpful in doing that. Okay. Okay, number six. You put a great deal of weight and conviction behind the I am experience that you had. How does this experience differ from any potentially dismissible experience in terms of those beyond the normal reported experiences that might have a prosaic explanation. I don't know that might have a prosaic explanation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think there's any way to answer that without sounding arrogant. <laughs> <laughs> Other than to say maybe um, that it's a universal experience and therefore accessible to anyone. And so if you would like to have this experience, all you got to do is, uh, Quiet yourself with no motivation, including the motivation to have the experience. Now get to it. I mean, there's no way, there's no way to prove any sort of transcendental experience other than to say, go do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's, it's, it is to be experienced. It is not to be bandied about. I mean, only then can you know, right? Right. Well, well, can I ask, have you ever, uh, since having that experience, have you m- met anyone? Have you read about it anywhere that describes an experience like that from someone else that you didn't know about before that you can say, wow, this is actually confirming um, what, what I experienced and what I saw to a large degree? Uh, no, but I, well, to a large degree. Yeah. Um, to an exact degree. No, I haven't. I mean, I, I've read a few things, but I haven't really read, uh, like, you know, Jito Krishnamurti never said what happens. Nobody mm-hmm. says what happens. They all say, oh, it's this indescribable experience. Mm-hmm. It's this indescribable experience. And I, and I think that they're, uh, I think they're, they're tricking you with language. I think what they mean is, um, not that you can't describe it in words, but that the description is not the thing and the thing needs to be lived, not described. Uh, because to describe it is to turn it into a debate or a religion or a you know whatever whatever whatever. Um, okay. And that that's not helpful. Um, but as far as like the the Kundalini movements and all that stuff, I mean, yes, I've read enough about that now where I know that that's out there. You know, uh-huh. people have have written a lot about that. Right. Um, and sure. it's certainly as far as like the I am experience, I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, there are people who have talked about it in general terms that I've read, you know, in terms of feeling the, the oneness identification and, 
and all that stuff. And I've read enough, I guess, um, spiritual stuff dealing with nothingness and formless awareness and, and all that stuff that implies that these people must have had the same experience. Okay. Or else where are they coming up with it? Right, right. Okay. Very good. Um, you are number six. Number six. Yes. Uh, since this has all been traumatic for you and caused severe family problems in the past, why do you invite it into your life? Or is it fair to say that it is your life? It's a part of you that you only say you have a choice about. The part of me that I only say I have a choice about. Like you always talk about, well, like you just did, just with your last question, you said, well, I invite it back into my life or I keep getting drawn back in or whatever. Right. Is that true or is that a facade? Is this always with you and and <laughs> that that level of control doesn't really exist? And if it does really exist mm. and it's so fucking terrible and you think it's demons, why are we here? Because <laughs> uh, what if it isn't? <laughs> uh, because that's it. I mean, that's it. You know? Throw the Joker card down on the deck. Um, well, I mean, I have to say that that when I did walk away from it, life was pretty blissful for quite a while. And I have to be honest and say, you know, when I began to get back into it again, um, I was going on ATS. And I can't even remember exactly what drug me back into even looking at it. Every once in a while, I would sit down. I mean, this is over a period of a few years that I was not involved at all. I remember, you know, Lisa would come in and I'd be looking at some, I mean, maybe it was rents or maybe it was, um, ATS or someplace. And she'd say, what are you doing? You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. And, and I just, you know, I just tell her, I say, you know, it never, never hurts to keep an eye on what's going on, but I don't have to become involved with it. I don't have to, you know, make it my life. And for a good number of years, I did that, you know, at least a couple, I couldn't even tell you at this point, what exactly drug me back in this latest time. I, I honestly don't remember, but before I knew it, I was, you know, going on another podcast and I was, um, talking to people online again and, and incredibly active on ATS and doing analysis again and all of that. And, uh, uh, but I have to say that this go round hasn't had the same negative effect on my life, life, my private life as it did the first time. Uh, because I, I don't think I've ever accurately described my life before this current stint right now. I do, despite what people think I do keep a lot of this at arm's length before I would get up I would have my nose stuck in a book about it during breakfast barely spoke to my wife go out the door go to work do my job come home get on the net um, go to a case with Lee interview people MUFON meeting that night uh, Saturday is a DC conference from MUFON we'll go to that uh, then we'll go down Bob Exler's house and see what he's got for us. And then we'll, I mean, it was constant. I was always doing something with it towards the end where it became what I've 
self-esteem is like what it can do to a lot of people, which is to become obsessed with it. I was, to a degree, obsessed with it. Um, and all of that led back to trying to figure out what the hell was going on with me. I really didn't care that much about, you know, a lot of the government conspiracy stuff. And I mean, that held a certain interest because I thought, well, what, what do they know? And all of that. But, but I might as well have been a full-time UFO guy. And eventually every single part of my life fell away. Um, because as George Hansen has said, this is, you know, living that anti-structural lifestyle. It, that is what it is to live that. Uh, and that's not good for relationships. It's not good for jobs. It's not good for your life. It's not good for your health either, I might add. When I hit a certain level of bottom to that, I mean, I'm a thin old metal shredder from the 80s. And I was 15 pounds lighter than I am now. I wasn't eating right. I wasn't sleeping right. Um and you know, and all of this stuff was going on that other people were seeing, and not just me, um, on a fairly frequent basis. So it seems like such a whirlwind now to look back at it. Now I tend to keep things um, at a, at a, at arm's length, and I have other interests. I have other things I'm doing. This is not my life, and this is not what I. Uh, I'm not striving to to add so much to. To, to, to the discussion of all of that. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to do something positive in it, but if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And before I didn't have that kind of, that kind of thing, I'm like, I must figure out what this is. I became obsessed with that drive of, I need to know what's going on with me. And so this is of the utmost importance and literally to a point, nothing else matters. I still, what drives me back to it is, is that I still believe I still believe that to a degree this this question of what is the UFO and what are aliens and what are ghosts and all of that. Uh, I'm starting to realize that all of this stuff is becoming much less important to me and that the real important thing to me is what the fuck is going on? Like, where are we right now? <laughs> what are we doing here? When we say reality, what does that mean? Uh, you know, the broader sweeping issues and realizing that all of this other stuff is a symptom of something much bigger. And now I want to know what that bigger thing is. And so the question is at this point, will it show me or will it give me a clue as to what that bigger thing is? So I, I don't allow it to become detrimental like it used to be. I mean, I, I couldn't even act. My wife could probably better accurately describe what it was like living with a full-time UFO guy. So um, that's kind of how I handle it these days. Very good. Uh, number seven. Yes. Do you ever wonder? Nope. <laughs> do you ever wonder whether the study of this phenomena and its discussion of it in public, in public, is truly worth the stress-studded price, or are we all simply addicted to the endless tail chase mystery and conflict that seems to be born of such entanglements. <laughs> Can't it be both? <laughs> yeah, um, it can if that's your answer. Yeah, I mean, I think there. Are, I think it is easy to get ad- addicted to the entanglements and and all that, as we've talked about. You know, going back to the message board and seeing well, who said what and what do I have to respond to and how do I have to defend myself and 
all that nonsense. Um, but then you have, you know, an episode with someone like Jacques Vallée and you remember, oh, right. There's a phenomenon here. That's it about. It's yeah. important. So I think it is both. Hmm. Okay. That was an easy one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, it it's, a, it's an interesting, I mean, the importance of it has evolved. It, it's funny because, you know, I talk to people who are like, well, all of these fake YouTube things or, you know, these bad researchers, I mean, at least they're playing a role in raising awareness. You know, at least they're raising awareness. I mean, do we care about the quality of awareness? I mean, is it is important <laughs> to raise awareness. Right. Um, I mean, I guess in its current incarnation, no, I don't think there's any important uh, dialogue being had out there about this phenomenon, except for ours. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, here's the and and really the underlying question of that uh, number seven is, uh, you know, is what you're getting out of it worth the stress price tag that comes with it? Or do you not feel the stress? I mean, you certainly feel the stress of this. Yeah, of I mean, course I feel the stress. Um, is it worth it? Is, is what you're getting out of being involved in this? I, I If, if I got to be honest, I mean, probably part of what I get out of it is the stress. Um, really? I think, I, think I, I work under pressure. I think I've always been a roller coaster guy, highs and lows. Mm-hmm. Middle bores me. Um, so probably unconsciously, you know, right? I'm drawing this stress to myself to remain in a stressed state because that's what I'm used to. Mm. So that's my unconscious answer. My conscious answer is no, <laughs> it's not worth it. it sucks. Mm. Would you rather be, I mean, if you had your choice to step out of yourself right now and look at two possible threads of reality, one where you're not in this and one where you are, which one would you choose? Hmm. No, I want to be in it. You know, there's something about looking at my bookcase and and seeing, like, I think I want to talk to that person today. And then being able mm-hmm. to call them up and, and talk to them. Yeah. You know, it really is kind of amazing when you think about it that way. Okay. Um, because I think, like, the, the bigger questions are always going to be with me. I mean, these are the things that I think about because what else is worth pondering? And so if I get to do that with you in a public forum and we get to speak to generally awesome people, uh, then yeah. I mean, why would I not want to do that? Right. Right. Okay. So yeah, fuck the haters. (laughs) As always. Number seven. Huh? Are you ready, Jeff? Uh Uh-oh. Are you ready for number seven? Not really, but go ahead. Biedney. Oh. What, if anything, would you do differently? Oh boy. Listen to my wife. <laughs> but then we would never have met. I know. Um Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Number eight. This is long. Uh I personally liken your IM experience uh to that of what I've been studying about quite lately uh, quite a lot lately, which is the near death experience. Uh, most times in the near-death experience, the individual does not have a choice in returning to life. This is in most cases. In some cases, I think they are given a choice. Uh, but in the majority that I've been reading lately, they, that's, not a, been a, that's not been an option. If they had their choice, they'd stay in that quote-unquote place because it's such a wonderful place to be. 
How do you explain that you two have said what a wonderful experience the I am was, and you were given a choice to come back and talk about it or to go further into it? Number one, had you gone further, what do you believe would have happened? And number two, if it was such a transformational and wonderful filled experience for you, I have to ask, why care enough to come back from that rather than to stay and go further? Uh, the world must look fairly black and white after such an experience as that. And I wonder what your motivation for releasing that experience was when you could have gone further into it. Well, um, when I was going through the experience, the motivation was I thought I was physically dying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that just that I'm dying instinct kicks in and it's like, oh God, I've got to get out of this. I've got to get out of this. So it's like complete panic. And I would say that it was uh, at that point, and that was where sort of my vision had settled on this planet and I'm hearing this woman and blah, blah, blah. I think it was that it was at that point really where the fear kicked in because um, I had had just my own voice, you know, my own in- interior voice uh, saying Lizette Larkins talking to extraterrestrials, Lizette Larkins talking to extraterrestrials over and over and over again. And... And that, to me, with this voice that I associate with abductions, I thought, well, this is my unconscious. This is no longer whatever that experience is. You know, I must be dying, uh, and I'm trying to trick myself or something. I, it just became it became this thing where once I became self aware again in the experience, that self awareness was like fear of death. So I came out of it, but when I came out of it, even so, there was still this uh, this feeling of a choice. After the experience, the feeling of the choice, the feeling of the choice of like, I can stay in this experience or not wasn't during the experience because the overriding feeling during the experience is I am fucking dying. I've got to get out of this. Uh, it was only afterwards when I'm like pacing around like an animal <laughs> and, and, you know, jotting shit down uh, that I had the realization, you know, and, and there again, there's no way to just prove any of this. It just is something that, you know. Uh, you've got a choice now. You can go be that. You can go live on the stage of that state of mind, you know, like that's a state that you visit and then the stage is the thing you live on. You can go live on that stage or you can be here. (laughs) Which is it? Uh, And to me, it was like, well, I've got to stay and I've got to talk about this and write about this and then I'll go back. You know, and then I'll go once that's out of my system, then I'll go take this on because I there's always this feeling that that's what it's, is going to happen. Like it's an inevitability and it's just a matter of when do you want to do this? You know, uh-huh. uh, so I decided to put it off, you know, ultimately to write urgency due out March 29th. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, well, I'm I mean, plug. yeah, plug the book. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, I had originally written a sequel to I Know Why the Aliens Don't Land and then I was going to write this book. Um, but then my friend Melissa read it and said, this is not what we need. (laughs) We don't need another smarmy sequel to your fucking alien abductions. Uh, and I saw that she was right. So I got to jump on writing this book. Uh, so what will happen after, (laughs) after I release it? I don't know. Uh, but we'll find out. Um, but ultimately, so why would you come back to this black and white world and all of that? Well, I think, it it goes back to once you. Well, the question. I mean, uh, 
does it look black and white to you? I mean, does does it seem different now since that? Does this look bland to you? This looks messed up to me. How about that? I mean, originally, um, before that experience, when this whole spiritual shenanigan stuff started happening, it was all like blissed out, amazing blissed out stuff. And then... Uh, a friend of mine dragged me back to reality after 9/11. He was like, "Look, you gotta, you gotta look at the evidence of 9/11. That you know the Bush administration might be behind this, and blah blah blah." And I didn't want to look at it, and you know, because I was like, "Well, what does it matter? Non-attachment. You know, none of this is real anyway. Who cares? Why do I, you know?" But the, you know, then I looked at it, and I was like, eh, "Okay, well, actually, it wasn't even 9/11. I shouldn't even say that. I think it was before that. It was." He wanted to do a political show with me about Bush stealing the election. That's what it was. Oh God! Uh, yeah, okay. and then and and so then I sort of came back down to earth. The more I looked into that, and then nine eleven happened, and it was like, oh, what what is this world becoming? This this America? What is happening here? Um, so I feel like I got dragged back into uh reality. I mean, before that, like it was weird. It was like I was so blissed out. I didn't even listen to music. Like I lost my taste for music. It like didn't do anything for me. Um, so why would I want to come back? Well, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think because when, when you have the, the sense of oneness or whatever, when you experience that, then you realize that waking everyone up is wake one waking oneself up. So it is all in, in service to yourself <laughs> on that okay. level. You know, in, in that sense, uh, had you gone well, had you gone further, what do you believe would have happened if you just said, no, I'm going with this? I think that. Uh, really, think you'd be dead. No, no, no. I think oh. that um, I think I would be non-local. I think I would uh, have a non-local mind. I think that I would be. uh pretty much what I experienced would actually be my reality in my brain right now. So that I'd be, I could be talking to you right now and everywhere else at the same time. <laughs> uh, huh? Yeah. So how do you like that answer? <laughs> that'd be, that'd be hard to relate to 99.9% of the public. Well, you know, it's funny. Well, 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 here's the question. I mean, what would that look like to us? I don't know. Probably would you be, a, would you be the bomb? Probably the immense, immensely powerful and, and scary. I imagine. I don't know. I don't know. You, uh, you don't think locked up in an insane asylum? No, no, because I don't think or uh, considered psychotic. No, because I don't think that uh, I, I don't think that that this facade would go away. You know. Oh, okay, okay. It would be my little secret. Um, ah, okay. But uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I don't remember what I was going to say. Well, I guess just in terms of. Uh, oh, of relating to people and, and does this look black and white to me now? Mm-hmm. Um, what, after it first happened, it, no, it, it, it's actually, I mean, you relate to people even better because you understand them. It, it's kind of like, you know, we've talked about like when you're in a situation where you're arguing with people, try to step back and be objective and look at it like animal planet, like what's really motivating them. Uh-huh. Because once you understand what they're actually doing and why, it's easier to be compassionate about it and to not uh, feel the the wrath of their anger. Uh-huh. Um, but the so it's like the further away from from the experience I get, the more just typical I become. 
the more black and white I become and the more I resent people and the more I resent uh, my choice. (laughs) The more you become normal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, the more I become, the more I become, yeah, normal, but normal by way of me so that, you know, all of the anger and depression issues, just all the normal psychological baggage that was me Uh is now me again. And Uh that was gone for quite a while. Oh, and huh. uh yeah. And so that's disappointing. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, yeah, okay. Huh. That's a very good answer. I like that. I was very I never had asked anything like that before. I figured uh number 8 and number 6 would probably piss you off, but No, no. I'm, no. I'm glad it didn't. <laughs> okay. All right. Number 8. Is there anything you feel that you know for sure about your own quote-unquote abductors? Uh, that you have never said publicly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what would that be, Jeff? That I've never said publicly. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I've tried to be so open book about it. Um, I've probably mentioned something like this to a certain degree, but I don't talk about it that much just because it does sound so incredibly weird. You you know how we've talked about, especially with Streber, where, you know, at the end of communion, he says, no, that's not it. It's like a Chinese box. There's another thing under that, under that, under that, under that. I definitely see that as true, that, you know, our recollection of what they look like visually to us um, is not true. I think that what we see, I don't think, I know, I know that what we're seeing is some kind of weird manifested skin suit <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, that w- whatever they are to us, I don't think is um I don't think that's a visible um I don't think that's something we can optically perceive. I think that um and by the same token uh you know someone would say well that would mean if they stepped foot on your carpet if they're wearing a skin suit then there should be able to be some sort of particle to that. And see I don't think that that's it either. I think that whatever this material is, whatever it consists of you know, I mentioned before that I grabbed one and put my thumbs between its eyes and just squeezed its head until it popped. And when it popped, it was like, uh, you know, it was like uh, onion skin paper. It just crumpled up in my hands and, and it blew away. And I get the sense that that's what they're made of. And in a, in a, if, if there's a physicality to the encounter, I think that they are. Um, I mean, we, we always we, we hear this, you know, we're, we're not. Uh, uh, humans having a spiritual experience where spiritual beings having a human experience and all of that. I think that, that they are the truest um, sense of that, that they are purely um, a spiritual being, which, you know, for, for lack of a better way to explain it, this is why there is no hard evidence. This is why people encounter dreams uh, where the dreams go incredibly bizarre directions that don't seem, to be within the normal framework of a dream. Um, uh, th- th- this puts it into perspective for me that this is a, 
a non-physical uh, thing. I believe myself, and I don't say this, is that these things are not physical, but they can be. And the way they can be is to uh, somehow generate from our air uh, some sort of outer covering that we would perceive as a body. But there's nothing in there. I think the notion of the UFO is pretty much the same thing. If you see a UFO and it is the enigma itself manifesting itself in this way, I don't think if you could cut this thing in half and do a cross section, you would see little seats and computers and screens and shit like that. I don't think there's anything in there. What I know is uh, about them is that uh, they are not physical. Um, and I've often said they, it can be if it wants to be. I've said that before on message boards and on shows and stuff. But I mean that in a literal sense that whatever spiritual or non-manifested being that they are, they can create a, a – and I get the feeling that whatever that material was that fell through my hands and onto the floor that day was literally made of the air. And part of the reason for their coloring – uh, which, as most people have described them being, uh, uh, in in a physical sense, uh, you know, a dirty, almost uh, a beigey or uh, taupe-like color. Um, you know, I, I think it doesn't take much to realize that could potentially be our air, our air quality. Like they're made of dust. I mean, that's the best way that I can describe it. It's like, you know, you wouldn't find anything on your floor except maybe some common household contaminants because that's what they're made of in a physical sense. But is there anything past the skin? No, there's nothing that nothing that is like a flesh and blood with organs and that sort of thing. So hmm. I hope that answers it right. That's a very interesting yeah, I'd never thought of them being made up of contaminants or just something that you would – I mean, it mm-hmm. certainly goes along with uh, you know, implants just being sort of natural things mm-hmm. if they – you know, if any implants are real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, number nine, uh, <laughs> and I have in here in parentheses, please keep this to a reasonable high level of discussion. Who do you dislike the most in the UFO field and why? The most. Gene Steinberg. Oh, God. Does he count? I mean, is he in the UFO field? Not really. Oh. So you mean like a researcher? Uh, yeah. Who do I dislike the most? Well, that's, geez, flip a coin. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I guess um, Paul Kimball by default because I've had more bad experiences with him than anyone else or more exposure. I shouldn't say bad experiences with him, but more exposure to his style of awful than than anyone else that I can think of. Okay. Um, And why? Because um, he strikes me as a disingenuous poser. The end. (laughs) Okay. That's fine. Um, and I think that was a reasonable high level of discussion. <laughs> I, I mean, you're, you're just, that's your opinion. I mean, and other people out there may have a completely different take and that's your opinion and you have every right to it. So, um, well, then why, okay. are, you, then why are you qualifying it? 
<laughs> I'm know, just I saying. I have a right to my opinion. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> We've all got our opinions. Well, I'll tell you. I, I think I, I think he stands out because people actually, or at least some people, actually do look up to him, or actually do think that he raises the bar on discussion. And I just don't. I don't see that at all. Mm. Um, I mean, there are other awful people, but they're not consequential, you know? Right. Um, and there are certain people I've had worse experiences with in life, but they're not of consequence to this field. And, you know, I guess arguably neither is he, but, <laughs> but just try telling him that. Okay. Uh, let's see. <laughs> what about you, Jeff? <laughs> Should I ask you that? Oh, you don't want to answer, ask me that. No, no, that's quite all right. You go ahead with your number nine. Well, I'm going to switch mine up. I'm going to make my number 10 number nine. Okay. Because I think my number nine has more finality. Uh, number 10 nine. You have a lot of full memories of abductions. Is there anything at all that looks like they are interested in our reproductive systems or hybrids? Is there anything at all that you've ever had in an experience that has smacked of they care about our reproduction organs or creating hybrids? Uh, no. Nothing? Uh-uh. No. Do you, I mean, uh, do you even have memory of being on a table or anything like that? Yeah. You do? Yep. Naked? No. Clothed? Yeah. And they're doing what? Uh, trying to get me to open my eye. Give you a latte? Oh. <laughs> Have a latte. Just oh, yeah. drink well, yeah. this. We, we know about the eye thing. So that that's it? That's your your one experience of being on a table? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, if you want to talk about classic scenario, yeah, that I would say that that was probably the closest to that. And then I have to say that this is why from the very beginning for me that it's never rang true to me. And when I've uh, then gone on to, you know, facilitate discussion groups with with other people who claimed the experience, and none of them said it either. <laughs> and we would all go, "Did you see that guy on sightings?" And like, "What's that about?" And you know, like other men that I would talk to just one on one, I would say, "You know, like we're away from the girls now. Like, did that? Did you have any of that?" I'd be like, "No, dude. I would I would not be ashamed to say it in front of women." I've met very few people who have actually followed that, you know, that channel of, you know, hybrids and uh, sperm extraction and all of that sort of gross industrial procreational crap. I just don't, I don't, I don't see any of that. I've never had any of that. The only thing that I can ever connect to babies or, anything like that is knowing that one was in my son's room as he was an infant. And I've talked about that before, but that really, I was never, it was never anything said that, you know, he did this or that. Now my wife, um, and these are the only couple of things that I can even like kind of lean in that direction, but they are still not really to me much of a, um, much of a connection, but this is worth mentioning, I guess. I don't think I've ever talked about this, and she'll probably kill me. Um, when I was at the condo, probably well within the confines of that period of time where life was very strange, Saturday morning, Lisa and I are 
laying around in our pajamas and watching cartoons or whatever, and the baby's asleep. And uh, Lisa had had a, uh, a C-section when our son was born. And it had long since held, you know, healed up her incision. But um, this was a very definite, horrifying-looking cut that was lower than her C-section incision. Uh, that was about four and a half, five inches wide and was right on her bikini line. Let's say it that way. And I said, where the hell did that come from? And she says, I don't have any idea. I don't know where that came from. Uh, I said, that looks really bad. I mean, it's like a big scab. I said, did you lean up against something or is it a burn? And I actually looked closely at it and it was clearly a cut. And I was pretty mortified at it. And I, at that point in time, thought, you know, are they, uh, I became angry about it. I said, you know, are they now screwing around with my wife um, uh, in some effort to antagonize me into something or to goad me into uh, a, a direct confrontation of some type? Because I spent a great deal of time avoiding places and and times where I thought something had happened until Lee talked sense to me and said, it's going to happen whether you have it or not. That's the only time that I can think there was anything of a like pseudo, uh, you know, implantation or extraction or operational thing aside from my, I think, I mean, that's really it. I've never seen a hybrid. I've never seen a child, um, of that sort. One could argue that the guy that I spoke about with in connection with the drive home from the beach and ending up in a different state, that that could be some kind of hybrid thing because he looked so much different. But if you want to get right down to it, I could say that um, what was sitting in that seat was some sort of manifestation of an alien and was not human in any way. Um, from the very start, and that uh, again, you know, w- one of the things, and, and one of the confounding things about this is that people don't really they understand it because they talk about it, but then they don't take it far enough. Is this notion that whatever these things are, whatever they represent, they are clearly able to affect our level of perception to a huge degree, and in the in the in that ability, you have to question. What are you experiencing? Is it real in the realest sense? Like what is really going on if you were a fly on the wall? So was that guy who I picked up at that roadside store really what he claimed to be from the very get-go? Or was it always a shell game? Was it, was he always, did he always look that certain way? And it wasn't until we reached a certain point where the disguise was no longer needed. Um, or was the effect on my perception no, that it held no relevance because it was over at that point. And that's when he appeared to be weird and distorted from what I picked up. I wouldn't call that a hybrid. Do hybrids exist or not? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I kind of, I, I mostly doubt it. I'll, I'll put it that way. But I personally have not had any of that sort of scenario at all. He was more of a halfling. Yeah, Right. <laughs> All right. For you, number 10. 
How many times over the years have you actually thought or have you actually walked away from this topic? Have you thought about walking away from it or have you ever walked away from it altogether? Um, no, I've never walked away from it. As you know, <laughs> my thinking of walking away from it was what led to Paratopia. Right. Um, that's true. Yeah. The only two times I've thought about walking away from it, because, you know, as far as it goes, it hasn't been it for me the way it has been for you. Um, I mean, I haven't been even a quote unquote public figure uh, until what, 2003 maybe, right? I don't know. When? <laughs> when the yeah. hell did I come oh. on the scene? I don't know. I mean, it's it was late, in other words. It's not like... Uh, it's not like I, I've been a UFO investigator and, and, you know, just one more case and I'm out or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. And it wouldn't have dawned on me to try to walk away for any personal reasons before I was a public figure. You know, I didn't have like haunted house stuff like you did. And I didn't it wouldn't have dawned on me that I could walk away if I did have a haunted house. So really, I think the first time was after the culture, the second culture of contact. Um, event was such a just embarrassing failure. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I've actually, honestly, I've thought about it recently, mm. um, which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you have really? Yeah. I've thought about it. I have too, actually. <laughs> huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, well then let's get to your number 10 and that'll, <laughs> Oh, no. Number 10. Uh, let's leave. No. Uh, I'll, I'll get to your number 10 and then we'll discuss it more because it's basically the same thing, which is okay. uh, in terms of paratopia, mm -hmm. when will you call it quits? In other words, when does uh, what does mission accomplished or mission failed look like to you? Hmm. I guess um, calling it quits and utter failure looks like. I think that can look like whatever you want it to look like. I, I, th I think it depends on where you're looking, which I think, you know, at, at least in terms of our own psychological attachment to the show or doing it is that we feel like we're being somewhat productive in what we're doing. Like we're, this is not, I mean, we have fun doing this and, and it is interesting. I mean, I think this show has been damn interesting to me. Um, but guests and all of that I, I think uh i think the utter failure would be if everything just keeps going on like like nothing ever happened and the question is going to be well where do you look to see what the effect is or have you had any effect at all but one of the things that i've kind of resigned myself to is exactly again what comes from what uh mr hansen has talked about which is you know Stop trying to change it because you're not going to change it. It's going to be what it's going to be. And it's only going to be that way because that's the way it's always been and that's the way it works. I hope that we're having some kind of positive effect. I hope. Uh, and certainly I think that we've heard from the throngs of listeners who have said, I'm so glad that you're doing this and, and I've gotten so much out of it. And all of those emails that we get every week. That makes it worth it. Like I read those and like that's the only reason that it, it's really worth doing anymore. Um, and I like that 
you know, a lot of people have said, you know, why don't you talk to this person or that person or why don't you go in this direction and give the UFO thing a break for a while. And I think, you know, that's basically what we've tried to do for the past few episodes. Um, when would I walk away? I mean, when it ceases to be, to be um, anything productive, I mean, you know, when you become the alcoholic who just gets in the truck with his friend and doesn't even say hello and you just go through the motions, I mean, what's the point after that? Right. Because you don't care. I mean, when I stop caring, that's it. I mean... Why have you been thinking about quitting recently? Um, well, because, I mean... I think some something that maybe people don't realize that readily about you and I is that you know it is easy to focus upon the bullshit. It's 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 easy to focus upon you know the freaking douchebags and and uh, uh, and the self-important people who are only important in this field and and know that and know that that's really the only place that they have any real importance as far as, you know, anything. Um, and I mean, importance in like the weight of their words and, you know, and all that, like coming to the realization that the people that you've looked to or looked up to in this stuff have either been confirmed by now for you or, have fallen away for you because now you, now you get it. And so it's a, I think ufology is a big learning curve. I think somebody getting into it has got a lot ahead of them, a lot of disappointment and a lot of, of, um, realization that not everything is as, as it appears, not only in terms of the phenomena, but in terms of the people in it, you know, that, that I'm down to a, a very small portion of the whole of at least the UFO question, like what matters and what doesn't matter anymore and what isn't even worth talking about. So, I mean, when it becomes routine, when it becomes just like, oh, we got to do the show tonight. Oh, great. I really rather watch, you know, MTV for a while or, or whatever. I, I, I mean, I look forward to doing this because I think it's interesting to talk about. I don't really see my interest waning in it. I mean, how do you wane interest in, probably one of the greatest questions of all time. <laughs> what is this all about? What, why are we here? You know, what happens after this is over? Um, all, all this stuff to me is interconnected and, um, and I don't see how we can get tired of that. Um, but maybe one day you just sit back and you go, good Lord, it's so far gone. You know, what do I do? And, and, the reason for my feeling as of late is just that looking at it and going, you know, I've got a bruise on the bottom of my jaw because it's hit the floor so many times lately in trying to have rational discussions with all sorts of different people and just not getting through and just not just the, I don't know what it is, man. It's just this, deny, 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 and hold fast, and don't let go, and anything that you say is blasphemous, and, um, you know, I mean, it's like, what is that all about? Are we not interested in learning more, or are we all just content just to sit on this thing the way it is? Because it's not, it's not 
I mean, look at it over the past 10 years. Nothing's, nothing's come up. Not, there's been no progress. And where does that go? I mean, it's a tail chase. So if you're not willing to question and pick apart and reevaluate, and what are you doing? Or what are you living it for? I mean, that's been my thing lately. It's just like there's just been so many. Well, all of it is, is you know, to me, what you're talking about is it's the illusion of giving a shit. Um, you've mm. got researchers, they've just, just shattered the illusion that they give a shit when they circle the wagons on their friends. Mm. The audience shatters the illusion that they give a shit uh, every time they say, you know, why are you making fun of Greer? Or, right. or, uh, or you know, well, who are you to say that hypnosis is wrong or this theory is wrong or blah, blah, blah. You mm-hmm. know, defend, defend, defend uh, the known that they have created out of the unknown. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, again, it gets back to belief systems. It gets back to, I mean, really, what is the biggest problem with the UFO machine? Uh, well, on the one hand, what I answered is, is true. But on the other hand, uh, what Tyler Cokejohn says is true. It's us. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem with the machine is the audience. The audience that demands uh, bullshit. And I, you know, and I had said to you, just in thinking about this lately, Greer, you know, doing the Greer impression, it makes you uh-huh. think about Greer. <laughs> the fact that this man can get up on a stage or write in a book that he, through the miracle of being Stephen Greer, beat cancer and nobody mm. fucking blinks. He gets an mm. award. He gets international speaking engagements. Mm. And at that point, that has nothing to do with UFOs or anything. That That's just fucking insulting, mm. you know? Uh, and it didn't even dawn on me how insulting that is until I just started thinking about it. But it's like, Wow. Could you imagine getting on stage and saying, I beat AIDS? I mean, it, it just for a, applause or to bolster yourself or whatever, you know, whatever that is to start the myth of yourself. Yeah. Whatever horrible disease. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and then, and then people are going to turn around and, uh, and say that you're an asshole for, <laughs> for <laughs> making fun yeah. of this pious man. You know, it's like, again, what does this have to do with, with the phenomenon, with, with anything? Right. It's like just it's just about creating superheroes at that point. I mean, it's pro wrestling at that point, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's it's just ridiculous. Uh, well, and the fact it's... that these people are allowed to speak on the same stage. I mean, again, we've we've bitched about this, right? It's like, how can you, uh, as someone who fancies yourself a real researcher, take the same stage that the guy who just said he beat cancer through the miracle of being himself? Just stepped off of. How do you share that same stage and not call attention to that? And then here we are with this Jacobs Hopkins thing. Mm. How do you not speak out when you speak privately and and you know laud Carol Rainey or or Emma Woods or whatever? How do you not then speak out and say something? How do you not take the fucking reins and change this field? How do you not do it? Uh, over I don't and know. over again. I mean, over and over again, not do it. And the only reason I can see is because that isn't what the field is about, and it never has been. Right. And so, why am I here? I mean, we're back to the age-old question of what am I right. doing here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that's an extremely just just depressing thought. And I guess you know what my my answer to it it's like i know the answer to it and I, but yet my mind still fixates on 
stuff you're, you just talked about. I mean, stuff like that, uh, like worrying about who says what about this or not. And, um, you know, our audience excluded, um, you know, worrying about what the public is going to, how they're going to perceive any given number of, you know, from the Jerusalem UFO to O'Hare to the hypnosis to, you know, the dismissal of abductions as a whole um, from the field. I mean, this kind of thing um, becomes the thing you think most about. And then you realize, well, wait a minute, that's not even really what, <laughs> it's not even really why I'm here. It's not really what I'm after. That becomes the fixation. See, I think that's the distraction for me in that sense. But, you know, to the answer, I think, to the question of the aggravation the, is, to dis, is to disconnect from it. it. It's, you know, and disconnecting from that doesn't necessarily mean like how I've been feeling lately, which is disconnect from it, um, you know, pull away from it completely. That's not it. It's getting back to discussing what are the possibilities of what this is. Um, I mean, we've ju- you got to admit, Jerry, we've just come through a a period in this show where it's been a fight to even get the information out about uh, the, the hypnosis as a tool. I mean, we actually have had people say to us, and listeners, we know this, we're not dumb, okay? Yeah, that topic is beat now to death. You think we're not sick of it? <laughs> we're sick of it. But here's the problem. Anything in this field that you mention once or twice or even three times, and then you leave it, you table it, and you go on and you do other things, by the time you come back around, guess what? Ufology has such a short-term memory, it's like you said nothing at all. Well, here's the other thing, you know, in terms of like being sick of it. Uh, here's the thing I don't think people appreciate is that, um, you know, it's not that we're ahead of the curve. We set the curve, right? We set this topic, this current incarnation of arguing over this topic in motion. Right. Right. And so when you do that, you and your audience are done with it by the time the, like people are just now catching up. Like the last few weeks it's been UFO updates and now, you know, UFO magazine, you know, their blog is starting to go nuts with this stuff and, you know, various people are, are commenting on it on their blogs and right. articles and stuff like that. Like it's just now sort of catching on out there and ATS is just now starting to sort of address these, these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've already, and we're already like been there, done that because we've been there and done that. And so, so what are we supposed to do now that everyone's talking about it? We're supposed to like have moved on and, and keep going. But, but meanwhile, the conversation that's being had about it, is cra- is a crap conversation. Well, that's just it. I mean, it's the the conversation. Unfortunately, uh, <laughs> you know, ufology is you know at least that public discussion of it is like a shit machine. You put stuff in, and it puts <laughs> shit out. It's like a shit machine. I'm I'm like a shit machine. Uh, well, so, am I. <laughs> um, but it's like the conversation has basically de evolved into personality conflicts the, the topic has gotten lost that's my fear is that the crux of the issue that this is a bad tool that the scenario or the stereotype is set so tightly it's going to be hard to unlodge and start over 
And so that's all being lost in people wanting to be noticed, you know, uh, injecting themselves into this discussion now at such a late hour. I think it's you know, what people are – I think it's what they're used to. Like I think um, this is where I'll disagree with George Hansen. I don't think that there's a trickster element and that that's the reason that this conversation is going afoul. Like I think oh, no. that that's just what the field is and I, yeah. and I think it's what people are used to. You mm-hmm. know, If that's what this field brings to the table, how are you supposed to bring logic and sanity or, or whatever to it? You can't because you can't even convince them that you're on the level because they're not <laughs> used to people being on the level. Right. Yeah. Again, it's too easy to fixate on the negatives. And, uh, and the fact of the matter is there are a lot of good people out there doing solid stuff who, um, who have a lot to bring to the table in this. And that's the people we want to deal with. That's the people we want to talk to. And so if there's more conversations to be had, like the Jacques Vallée conversation or Colin Andrews or Ted Phillips, or uh, Scott Lillenfeld, or any of these people. I mean, uh, Dr. McKenna, uh, hopefully Rick Strassman and, and you know, Dr. Strassman in coming months. I mean, those are the conversations I really want to have. And um, I think it's best that the detachment comes from detaching ourselves from the field, quote-unquote, and not detaching ourselves from this is over, we've had enough, it's a failure. Uh, no, I don't. I don't feel like it's a failure. I. I, I just. I think. Um, well, part of the problem is that there are so many disingenuous, uh, awful people in this field. And but then maybe there's this other problem, which is that because that's true, um, that anytime you come along and create a stir. Mm-hmm. Even if that stir is correct to have been is correctly created, properly created, all these people see is another asshole creating a stir. Right. Yeah. <laughs> because that's all they're used to. Right. Yeah. Well, it's either that or it's what the RRR group has talked about <laughs> when it comes to their discussions on, you know, the old guard falling away and and uh, new people picking up the question and running with it. And, you know, I think when that – if there is a point in time in 10 years or whatever where all of our um, – and even the people we like have retired from this or have left it and moved on to other stuff, which a lot of them do, um, you know, where is it going to be? And, you know, is there going to – you know? I mean, hopefully, is a lot of this crapola that's that's filling the field right now that's kind of been left to go, is a lot of that going to be changed? And that change is going to be hard. And so are you witnessing, like, the first cracks in that foundation of, you know, the old ufological guard um, fighting to maintain, you know, its stance? I mean, I don't know if that's it or not, but I don't know that you'd be able to start such a stir as this in the ghost field. Or in the ESP field, or you know what I mean? Like this field is so unique in that way <laughs> that, um, and maybe that's tantamount to that. There's so much bullshit in it, and um, and our listeners know this because we've talked about it a lot. We've shown them uh, so much about it. I think um, it's tantamount to that. There are so many facets of it. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, abduction, UFO, if you want to include crop circle, if you want to include 
you know, cattle mutilations, you know, all of that, all of that mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. You don't, you don't get that with the ghost stuff. No. And no, so the it's... two, the two like completely seemingly legitimate topics in the milieu of UFO stuff are mm-hmm. alien abductions and UFOs. Those are the mainstays. Yeah. So put a chink in the, in the, uh, the armor of <laughs> alien abduction research. Yeah. You're, you're a jerk. That's, that's huge. <laughs> that's half, that's half the legitimate field. Or seemingly legitimate field. Well, and you mentioned why is, you know, why is, what, what is the resistance about if you care about it and all of that. And again, I go back to that same thing that, you know, other people, perhaps unrelated to uh, the abduction phenomenon. They're not, that's not their main focus of study. However, they've taken what uh, abductionologists have uh, brought to the table and have built therefore on top of that um, in their own work, whether it be in association with a sighting, like how many researchers out there got a really great sighting that may have culminated in some kind of missing time and immediately said, well, we need to go see someone who can hypnotize you. And then that became a, a chapter of their book. Um, that's a problem. <laughs> Because at that point, then that becomes an invalid portion of their research. So, it, see, it goes past the abduction realm of this uh, of this whole thing. It goes past that. It winds its way like a worm through a lot of ufology. And so, I can understand why so many people that are seemingly unrelated to abduction would have a problem with this beyond the friends, beyond she's crazy, beyond she's the bitter ex-wife. Um, it's more about, well, wait a minute. Now you're, now you're screwing around with what I've written and what I've put down on paper. Um, so that means I'm wrong and that can't happen in ufology. Remember you can't be wrong, uh, which is really a shame. <laughs> you know, it's a shame that, that the practice that science goes through, I mean, everybody bitches that they want this to be more like science, uh, or they want science to be involved, but it's not. As Tyler said, it's not putting forth any of the necessary parameters to call itself a protocol of science. Yeah, it doesn't want to put forth the effort to be a science. It just wants science to adopt it. Right, exactly. And then it wants to bitch when science does adopt it because science will inevitably exclude them (laughs) from the science. Well, and science demands put forth your theory, let everyone tear it apart six ways from Sunday, find the flaws, address the flaws – and if you can't address the flaws or the flaws turn out to be uh, you know, reminiscent of something else, it's discarded. We have a problem with that in this field because no one does that. Jacques Vallée has done that. You know? Ted Phillips has done that. Um, you know, Colin Andrews has done that. Um, but the vast majority of this field, uh, that's a no-no. Uh, they don't want to do that because that affects uh, – I, I somehow I think that they feel that I, Kevin Randall has done that. Kevin Randall has reassessed, um, you know, his Roswell work based on new things that he's found out over the years. There's nothing wrong with that. That's what you're supposed to do. But nobody in this wants to do that because that's a sign of weakness. That's a sign of you're a bad researcher. It doesn't mean you're a bad researcher. It means you're wrong. You're human. That's what it is. It's an enigma. Remember in quotes, uh, you know, I don't understand how people don't understand that. I mean, you think I got a hundred percent hit rate on video analysis? Try again. <laughs> you know, 
I've been bamboozled plenty, you know? And when I have, you bet your ass I've said, they got me. <laughs> you know, they got me because I thought there was something to that. But I don't know. Uh, I think that shows that you care. I think it shows that you've got some integral character about yourself when you can admit that something's not fitting into the puzzle box the way you want it to rather than trying to force fit it. This is why I, I get so miserable with it. And, and it, and at times it becomes so frustrating that you do just want to walk away. You know, so to, 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 to back to your question, uh, which was a half an hour ago. Um, <laughs> um, I think the answer is not to walk away and to focus on the people that matter to you, to, you know, to our audience who I think are along with us on several of these fronts. And dare I say, stop trying to make an impact and just let the impact happen whenever it does. You know, like I don't think our, I don't think our onset of this was to try to make an impact with the hypnosis thing. It was trying to, address what we saw as a serious problem. And we knew that there would be fallout for it. And we accepted that. Did we ever think we'd be approached by the people that we have wanting to talk about it? No, that was not planned. That happened that way. Um, because we brought that Willenfeld episode on, on the table and then boom, 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 right in a row. I mean, you couldn't have planned it that good. Um, you're a reverse trickster. Oh, yeah. I mean, you couldn't plan it that good. Uh, And now it's out there and it's public record. Uh, And people coming into this can review it um, and take away from it what they want, because that's all anyone's ever going to do. Um, I think the answer is, like we said before, put the head down and do the work. You know, I think that's all you can do. And so uh, I hope I have hope. Not so much for ufology as a whole, but I have hope for this show. And I think that's the best you can hope for. I think that's the only thing you should hope for. So the chair. Yes, the Jeff. That's 20 questions, my friend. It certainly was. Did you learn anything? I did. I learned uh, about somewhere between 10 and 20 things. (laughs) (laughs) And you? Fantastic. Uh, No, not much. Good. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, Paratopia Magazine, by the way, folks, out on Monday. Last Monday? Quiet down, you. Oh, next Monday. That's right. Final edits are going in tomorrow. Back cover artwork on Saturday. Final compiling on Saturday night, probably. Baby got back. Back cover. Yes. Right. So uh, look forward to that next week. And uh, I think it really came out uh, quite nice. So I hope you all like it. And uh, send us your feedback on it at www.paratopia.net or email us at paratopiapodcast at gmail.com. How would they give us feedback on paratopia.net? The message board, you don't. Oh, right. (laughs) Good night, everybody. Good night. (laughs) 